bringing their problems to me for as long as I can remember. I have one of those faces that just says, tell me what's going on. And now I have one of those podcasts that says, go ahead, tell me what's going on. Welcome to Mess in Progress. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Mess in Progress. Myself, Gina Brion, my lovely co-host slash everything person, Catherine G. Mendoza. Catherine, say hi to the people. Hi, people. I literally had my um, AirPod case and it like almost fell. So whoever's watching this is going to see my face. I'm like, no. Your face go to panic like every time I think I'm going to drop my son or I'm like, (laughs) oh, okay. No, that's even more. This is, did you just equate your beautiful child? That's how people react to dropping their technology. They don't react like it's just technology. I would have let that shit hit the floor, but people react to their phones and like your, your, your AirPods aren't even in there. And your reaction was, oh my God, like your AirPods are on you. That's but, the, but it's the charger. So if it breaks, you're screwed. I'm screwed. Well, I mean, apparently, like, you can get it re, like, you know, Apple will, like, uh, you can, like, trade or whatever. But, you know, you're probably going to have to pay, like, $250. <laughs> so I'm like, 100% I'm, you'll have to pay that much. 100%. Oh, no, you're frozen. And I'm just not doing it at all. Yeah, you were frozen. To, hold on, let. Move in an adorable position. Like your your video is still frozen, but it was frozen in a very adorable place. <laughs> you see the video, you're gonna be like, "Oh, that was pretty cute." <laughs> hey, I was posing. Yeah, it's like your Zoom new. Like if we're gonna freeze, freeze in a cute way. Otherwise, she's so. Because I'm actually the queen of like um ugly candids. Like oh. I don't have cute candids. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't either. I hate girls who have, not girls, people who, who have, have beautiful, beautiful, and it's like, they always look like they're contemplating the, the like, the theory of life. And- yeah, like, or like, they're so deep. Like, they never look, like, I always look goofy. Like, I always look like a gorda. They always get me from the worst angle. They take it from the gorda angle, which is that side angle, <laughs> that side profile picture, which is level with your face or lower than your face. It's the worst angle whatsoever. And then they post it like it's nothing, like like you don't want to burn that picture down. Like I yes. once it's online, I cannot destroy that picture anymore. Oh, you froze again in an adorable position. Like, this is an impersonation of your frozen. I was like, eh. like and you're actually, Wait, because you're still, um, now, you're cut, now you're cutting out. I, I, love your I, I noticed that, like, the... I'm like, Catherine, pause. Although, I have to say, your Zoom is freezing in the perfect way. I almost hope you get to see this, so you could see how perfect your Zoom freezes on the best expressions. Right now, you're like... It's, I love this. I can't hear you at all. So if you're talking, I can't. And we'll take it again if we have to, although technical difficulties do happen. This is a Zoom. Oh, Catherine. Sorry. What happened to other Catherine? Okay, there we go. (laughs) I'm like, what happened to other Catherine? She froze. You froze like this. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, um, 
my internet has been like taki kaki falaki like it has been taki falaki i mean that's a, that's a gina statement guys if you had to gina created the statement taki kaki falaki here's where i have to say here i can't take credit for it because technically i learned it while i was living in yonkers because my ex used to say taki and I okay. think I upgraded it to Taraki Falaki Gaki because I was like, that's how bad it is. It's not just Taraki. But I like, I, for me, I like Gaki in the in between. Yeah. Because like, they, there's something about Taraki, Gaki, Falaki. <laughs> right? Because you go, you'd be like, oh, so what happened with that guy you were dating? What? You know, like, he's Taraki. Like, Taraki? No, he's Taraki Gaki Falaki. <laughs> Damn! With the falaki, right? If he's just traki kaki, then he's not the worst of the worst. He's yeah, bad. yo, he's traki kaki, yo. He didn't even like. He didn't even pay for dinner, yo. It was mad whack, bro. Like, <laughs> right? But if he didn't pay for dinner, and then I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to think of like when the kiss is whack, or then like he does some other crazy like. I remember the dating world, one of my, I mean, I actually loved this moment where the both of us, I was sitting on a date with somebody and we just looked at each other and we were like, yeah, this ain't it. Mm. We just looked at each other and we were like, mm. I was like, yo, you want me to walk you to your car? You were like, thank you for your time. Um, yep. Would you like me to return uh, the, your, your fare or, or do you need me to reimburse no, you for I'll, your fare? I'll walk you to your car. I'm gentlemanly like that. I'll walk you to your car. <laughs> And then do you, go back to Jersey. <laughs> do you want to know what the, I mean, because I, I noticed recently I'm on Hinge, but I'm not dating. I'm like, I'm frivolously swiping. It's just boredom. Um, right. It's just kind of like, and I like reading the profiles. Some dude literally said, we will get along if you lick the gooch. <laughs> First of all, absolutely <laughs> not, sir. First of all, No. First of all, we will not get along just at your mere request. <laughs> your request tells me that no. Yes, that's how I feel. Okay, okay, so two things, because I had this conversation with like another, uh, uh, I, is he a friend? He's not a friend. He's somebody I know. Um, so I had a conversation about this. And he goes, that's gross, but he also um, like let it be known. And I go, so in a weird way, I respect that like, if you swipe yes on him, you know there's gonna be some gooch licking. And if you're gonna say no, how dare you? It was there, he there told you. It's in his profile, bruh. <laughs> he told you flat out. That's <laughs> the deal, So That's in the fine print, bro. You gotta do it now. You gotta do it right, you gotta do it now. Right, like, he didn't that's even put like a JK. The profile. You can't just swipe on people no more. You got to read the profile. You got to read it. Outlandish request. Like, yo, take care of the gooch. <laughs> but my thing is, and I said this, I, I, I respected the fact that I can say no. And it's not about his attractiveness. No. It's about our preferences, our sexual preferences. You know what I mean? I go, because what if I would have physically been into him and liked everything else? And we would have, you know, actually proceeded into dating, hypothetically, in this hypothetical I'm dating world. Hypothetical dating and world. The day will come if that the gooch... home with him, but here's the question, Catherine. Let's say you go home with this gentleman and that situation happens. 
what do you do when the request is made live and in person? <laughs> live action, live action. When someone makes uh, that request on the spot, on the busy, in the moment. I don't know, dude. Like, I feel like, first off, I'm, I'm all about vibe, right? Like, I'm about how I'm feeling in that moment and how much I'm feeling you. Yeah. But it really, because that, that's the thing. I'm not saying Gooch in particular. But pertaining just to Gooch. No, just in general, it all has to do also with um, tone, how you presented this, right? Like, there is. And keep going and keep going and keep going. Gooch level, that is rude. (laughs) That is very inappropriate. Like, my thing is, um, there's there's things to consider. did we just come from outside? Did you shower? Because that yeah, this is perfect because our guest is here and I feel like you should be part of this discussion. So I'm gonna let David in on this discussion right now. Uh, our lovely guest, David Del Rosario, fellow comedian, uh, funny guy. I absolutely love working with him. I've worked with him several times and we were just both featured in HBO Max Hot Comedy Festival. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Let's bring David in. Let's bring David into this spectacular discussion. <laughs> I'm like, wait, I, I said admit him in and why am I being listened to? Okay, all right. My Zoom was disrespecting me. I felt very <laughs> David, are you there? Are you with us? I'm here. Hello. Crowd goes wild. Ladies and gentlemen, comedian David Del Rosario, good friend of mine. Like I said, we were both featured in the Ha Comedy Festival that just premiered on HBO Max. We'll talk a little bit about that. But first, we are in the middle of a heated debate that oh, I feel snap. Like you could add to this discussion. Well, I have to set it up for him. I yes, have to. Hi, I'm Catherine. Nice to meet What's you. What's up, guy? How are you? <laughs> I'm great, except I was on Hinge and I and I swiped on a profile and it said we will get along if you lick the gooch. And she asked me, well, if you're in the moment, would you do it? If someone requests that live in action, in the moment, on the spizzy, are you going to do it? Yes or no? If somebody makes that request. And uh, we are debating what the answer would be, depending on Catherine was saying, it depends on the vibe, how she's feeling about the person, you know what I mean? And the way you approach it. Tone was where we left off at, where, you know, you can't just, don't be pushing my head down until I'm Gooch level and then expect me to know what to do. Like, there needs to be a discussion. So as a, um, as a male in this yeah. discussion... Yeah. <laughs> as someone with the Gooch area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how would the request be made? Like, have you ever had to make that request? No, you, you don't have to get any TMI, but like, all right. if, it, how would it, you make it, that request? There's, first of all, with the, uh, with the level of the, the, it's on hinge, on a hinge profile, run. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> run. <laughs> run. You know, you don't want to put that out there. You don't want to have people think that you have a preference that makes other people like myself a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Hey, listen. Hey, if that's your game, go play it. But don't, don't put it out there. Personally, not a gooch guy. You know, not a gooch guy, but they're a gooch not, guy. not much of a gooch guy myself. <laughs> There's nothing to be ashamed of if you're a gooch guy. But Listen. I agree with David. Where it's like, 
why wouldn't you wait until you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody? I get of putting course. in your profile for information, but that's something that really is more meant for an intimate conversation between two yes. people. Yes. Like, yo. Yes. But he's also not playing a game. Like, if you swiped yes, you knew he's, he's a goocher. He's you're, a goocher. You're looking, you're looking for full disclosure. You're looking for all the cards on the table right away. <laughs> you want everything out in the clear still run <laughs> still not not advised not advised yeah I agree. I agree i agree so that was our conversation but it's a pleasure to meet you <laughs> thank you for having me it is so wonderful to, to have you on we have three rapid fire questions that we normally start with so i'll throw them at you you can answer them in whatever order you see important uh, one, where are you from? Two, where is your zodiac? What is your zodiac sign? Not where is your zodiac. What is your zodiac sign? And three, how did you get started in comedy and go? Uh, I am originally from Miami, Florida. Okay, uh, my zodiac sign is from uh, Sagittarius. That's where it's from. And uh, <laughs> also, uh, my start in comedy was uh, my first time ever getting on a stage was in high school. Uh, in front of my drama class and my, my then two periods later writing class to try out material on people oh, in high school. That's, that's where I got my start in comedy was in high school, 05. 05, so you did your first like stand-up set sort of for them? Yeah, I was, uh, I saw Chappelle's Killing Them Softly and George Carlin's Complaints and Grievances and I was like, okay, I gotta get these ideas down. I gotta get these ideas down. I gotta <laughs> know what's funny. What? Oh, 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 there's something there. And then there's nothing. And then there's nothing. And then you continue to repeat the process. So after that first performance in high school, like what was your next step after that? Like, were you continuously writing? Were you trying to, like, um, how old were you at the time? You were what? Uh, I, I must have been 18 at the time. That was uh, a while ago. Uh, I've been doing it for about like 10 years now, like accumulatively. Um, but I just started writing on a notepad vigorously. And then I started to find out about the first comedy club, which was, uh, kind of sort of nearby my house. Mm. And then I gave it a try there. And I actually did, I had a good set from what I look back now. I was like, I had a good set. Yeah. And, uh, I just started there. Wow. That was my first comedy club. That was your first comedy club though. Was your, yeah, it was like a little theater or was it was your in, high in high school? In high school? No, no. It, in high school, in high school, I started to work stand up with those two particular periods, right? And then I realized, okay, now you can go out into the world. And there was a little theater that had a comedy night. And I tried it out there. I invited some, some friends and just regular people that would go here on the norm. And it was, uh, it was called Laughing Gas. And, uh, Laughing. and that's where I did it for the first time. Wow. And from that now all the way to HBO, oh, 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 the crowd goes <laughs> wild. So how does it feel to have your first like television appearance on HBO? Like, what does that feel like? Because for comics, I know that's that, that and late night are like huge things for us, like getting a late night and getting a special on a network like HBO. So what does it feel like? Well, I mean, uh, I will say this. I've been doing a lot of promo for it. I did a phenomenal, phenomenal interview with you that is be, probably going to be out by the time that this is uh, 
And you told me something that's very important, and it's a feeling that I've tried to maintain throughout the release of it. And this is how I really feel. I feel very uncomfortable, and it's a good thing. Because, oh. because as long as you're, like, you have your moment, right? You have your moment in the sun, and it's just like, what's, what's the next big moment in the sun that I can put, you know, like, project-wise? Especially now. Especially okay. now. It's like... You're doing the promo, you, you're going through the motions, right? But it's just this ever-evolving amoeba of this uh, search for yourself within your career. Then that's what being a comedian is right now. So right now, I feel like I just got to keep working, you know, just keep working with regards to, like, keep creating is, is a better way of putting it. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about, because, you know, I watched it yesterday, like, I immediately was like, I need to watch it not only because, you know, we were going to interview you, but also Gina's in it. Um, but I find it so interesting that your first television, like, experience is surrounded by these other comedians. You know what I mean? How does that feel? Like, to, to actually get that opportunity? Because it's kind of like, in a weird way, your stepping stone has all these other people um, attached to it. And they're also, like, experienced. And it also seemed very familiar. Like, even when you all were on stage at the end, everything seems very balanced. Like nobody, like I knew that you, um, and I'm horrible with names, the other gentlemen, this was your first, both your first, but- Yeah, uh, Pedro Salinas, yes. Yes, and there, but it felt like there were no egos on that stage when everybody came back out. It wasn't like, I've been in the game this much longer. It was just kind of like, we're doing a show. How did that feel? Like, what was that experience like? It was, it was actually very comforting. I have to be honest with you. It, there was, I mean, the, even backstage before we're all going up there, I don't know what magic HBO did or the bookers or the organizers, like what they did to like put together this, uh, I think it was uh, one of the, um, one of the, it was like the Avengers of, of <laughs> it felt like that. It really felt like that. There was in the whole time, you know, you got, this dude's pacing back and forth here. These four are just shooting the breeze over on this side. This one's getting a lot of catering. This one's getting a lot of catering. But it was a very har it was a very harmonious thing. Oh yeah, no, we know, Gina. We know. We know. <laughs> I was very pregnant at the time. No, I was the but, one getting but, but but still, but still, uh, I, I think that the feeling of that being with other comedians, again, HBO and the bookers and the organizers of the Hot Festival, they figured out some sort of a way to make this lineup not just so cohesive, but also uh, very, um, uh, what's, what, there was like a synergy behind it. Like we all were just like this little piece of a bigger puzzle, you know, that was that show. Yeah. yeah. No. yeah and that showed. Yeah. No, I, I just made that up right now. But... Uh, <laughs> But yeah. for real, but, but that's how it felt. But that's how it felt. It definitely felt good. The vibe backstage was so, as the kids say, lit. Because um, we were all just, we really were having that hangout time that we don't really get a lot. These were people that, like, I don't get to see Monique a lot. Monique Marvez is based out in L.A. I don't get to see her a lot. So, and I've always been a fan of hers. David, even though we're both in New York, we would see each other in passing at things. Yeah. And so it was nice to have that time to chill and be in the green room and talk to people and just share stories and watch each other's sets, which was one of my favorite things was sitting there and watching each other's sets, getting to see uh, how everybody was doing on the show and just being excited and being happy for them. 
like that was a great vibe. I, I, I remember specifically uh, when, when it was, a, it, it, and you say watching the sets, I was watching you trying, you were like, I'm going to wear heels. I'm going to wear heels for this one. So everybody get out of the way. Get out of the way. I'm buffing the heels out. I was like, I'm putting on the heels. I need people to be my railings. I use people. As you made an <laughs> announcement. I had to make it. I was like, guys, the heels are going on. The flats are coming up with me. The chunk flats will join me upstairs. But the heels are going Actually, they stationed my heels on the side of the stage so that when I when I went up, my, my heels were there. So all I had to do was kick off my shoes. It was the most, I'm not going to lie, it was the most pampered I've ever been. Like, I swear, <laughs> it was the most diva moment I've ever had because it was like, and it was like, I'm pregnant. So. <laughs> I'm almost, I'm almost surprised she didn't like take off the heels as she was walking off the stage. <laughs> like, okay, we're done now. Like, I'm yeah. done now. I'm. That would have been hilarious. So now I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have kicked my heels backstage as I was sitting, because you know everybody's question was, how is she wearing those heels? And I'm like, I'm wearing them momentarily. That's how I'm wearing them. It's <laughs> set, and then I'm getting off stage and immediately going back to my comfortable chunk class, which was how it was. But it's so funny. Yeah, that was definitely the most pampered I've ever been. <laughs> For sure. And every. Don't think. Don't think this is the first time I was getting crap for it because everybody backstage was giving me crap for it. <laughs> but you know, it is what it is. I was a pregnant princess. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like that's what made the show really good because everybody had a unique voice, right? Like, yes, it was under the umbrella of like um, Latinidad, but I wouldn't say anybody was like each other to any degree. Yeah. Personality, the actual content, like yeah. what you guys spoke about, where you came from, like individually was very different. The lineup, that's just a, you know, an ode to the production that they knew how to make sure everybody was set the right way. Because let's be honest, they could have, like, I, I feel like um, in all the time that I've spent with Gina in comedy clubs, they could have screwed it up for you guys being in that lineup and put you in a bad place, but they specifically didn't. And that's kind of where it worked. It's like they balanced out um the people and like what the, what their sets were going to be about what their tones were um which just flowed because i really when i finished it i was like that went by really quickly like i felt like it should have been longer um but it was a lot of people so i'm like that means it was just really well produced yeah yeah it was really nice the way they broke all of our sets up because there's always a tone of the show that you want to set and like if somebody has low energy and you put them like towards the end of the show, like it's just the worst place to put somebody with low energy. Because if the, the crowd is already like, okay, well, let's go, and then this person comes up. <laughs> exactly, and it's just this, this long, slow clap of a set, and it's so much better when people know the energy levels. And I've done lineups with people before where I've talked to people that are doing, um, similar shows to like the hot festival and been like okay you should put this person first because they have like medium energy and then the next person has a little more energy and then you save the most energetic person for that end of the show performance because the crowd needs it and the lineup will probably need it too because you know if, if you're a lower energy comic i feel like you need the crowd to listen to you more you need them to yeah. listen and pay attention if they're impatient and it's towards the end of the show already you're going to lose them right away Whereas in the beginning of the show, the crowd's more willing to sit there and be like, hmm, what's this person about? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I, 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 uh, I, I honestly, uh, a tip of the cap to the organizers of that taping alone. Yeah. I mean, let alone it's a part of this more expansive uh, festival, if you will. But yeah, I hate to sound cliche, but the stars aligned with the lineup, the talent that they got for it, because Gina's right. If you were to have somebody that goes after a low energy comic and they're going to kind of get in their head about, oh man, but they're low energy. How am I going to be medium energy? Is it going to be like a whole thing? No, they put the, per the perfect person to compliment. It's like every single uh, uh, act that preceded the following act was like a palate cleanser for a different form of comedy. Yeah. So it was, it was, they, they executed it perfectly. And that's yeah. a great way of putting it to a palate cleanser. Like that's what it is with comedy that a lot of people don't get is that that next comic, it, it's like you have to cleanse your palate for the next performer because theoretically and also like it, they should not be like the performer previously. They should yeah. be different. They should have their own style. So it should be a new thing for you to have to try and follow. But I like that, a palate cleanser. Oh, So some more career questions since we're both like in comedy, uh, I love talking comedy. It's my favorite thing in the world. So I love when we have a comic on because I get to find out more. Um, I know I grew up, I had a lot of support from my family, but I know a lot of like Latinx and, you know, people do not have support from their family, especially coming from Latino families who usually want to see you prosper financially and they want you to have what they consider an actual job. Did you have support from the people around you? And uh, that do in your career? How did that help you? Or if you didn't have support, how did it, how did it hurt you or help you? I, I, it's, it's, it's hilarious that you bring this up because I just had a conversation with my mom who, again, salt of the earth, this yeah. woman. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, she was one of those that was like, why don't you get a job? like a real job, like a job, like, I don't know, work at Marchos or retail or something where 10 items or less are required. And I'm like, Ma, give me a chance to just take this leap of faith. And now like, she can't say a damn thing because yeah. I'm on HBO, baby. So Maybe like- she like, wants to get a job at a place that benefits her. She's like, work at Marchos down the block from my bank no. so that I can go to Marchos. He's from Miami. She wants him to work at Ross. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> get her that Ross discount, yo. Get that so Ross you discount. want free shit. I got yeah. it. Okay. You want the employee discount. I, I understand. Ross, Mom. I will take but Ross. how has that like affected your career? Like for yeah. you yourself, yeah. you know what I mean? Because having parents who, or family or friends who like, um, my brain was like, get that boy young. Like I couldn't yeah. think of the English word. Um, well, it's very different than not. Yeah, well, I mean, stand up, uh, unless you're doing a, a two person act, it's a very solo, it's like a guitar solo that you're doing forever, you know? And you're kind of wading through the water, if you will, by yourself. You're on this solo journey of like, all right, maybe I'll go this way. All right, I'll go this way for a little bit. All right, no, I'm going to go this way right now. I'm going to go this way for a little bit. So you're on this solo journey, uh, but in regards to support, like you're saying, um, I, I, I didn't really feel like I had to prove anything to anyone, not family members or friends. I, I, I more so had to prove it to myself that this was a dream worth fighting for. Uh, and I knew that if I pursued it, 
hard enough and I, and I, and I worked hard enough at it. Like, it's just like a diamond formed out of pressure. You know, it's like, that's, that's how that's like, you know, I always, I, and I, and I, I'm a, I'm a nerd when it comes to this kind of stuff, but there's this uh, Japanese anime called Dragon Ball Z. I don't know if the, the, the hot, the, the mess in progress audience messes with Dragon Ball Z, but there's a, there's a thing called a hyper. What was that? I'm sure there are Dragon Ball Z fans amongst the listeners. Or at least they know what it is. Yeah, because I know. Yeah, well, yeah. The, the, so, so it's this show about these fighters and they're training like to be warriors. And there's this thing called the hyperbolic time chamber. And what it does is it concentrates an entire year's worth of training into one 24-hour period. So that's what I knew that if I just like concentrated all of this effort and energy and just like the, you know, the, um, the, uh, oh my God, what's the word I'm trying to like the intention, mm -hmm. you know, if I put out that intention and concentrated energy into that one thing, like, and, and I'm not like a spiritual guy. I'm not like a really religious kind of guy. Like, I don't really like, it's all about the effort that you put into that kind of thing. That's the motivation that I needed to onto itself. I wasn't really in need of anyone's support, you know? So that's where I stand with, uh, with that. Yeah. yeah, you weren't looking for validation through anybody else. It was just, I, yeah. to, I know I have to do this for myself. And if it's exactly. not for me, then it's not for me, you know. But you had to find that out. You weren't going to let anybody tell you it wasn't for you, which I think is the attitude of somebody who does, like, persevere in an entertainment, in any entertainment, any aspect of the entertainment industry. I'm losing words. Any aspect of the entertainment industry, you have to have that perseverance of like, I don't really need your validation because you will not get it from a lot of people. It doesn't matter if you're on the industry side or if you're on the performer side, it doesn't matter. Um, now, now and, 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 and if, if, if I may, there are people along the way that kind of give you that push though. Of course, you yeah. Know? Like, like my, my, my beautiful new fiance, Yay. That's right. Fresh, fresh with the F word. Fresh with the. She's my Beyonce. Just kidding. She's my fiance. Either one. Either one works. Either one works. Um, but but you know she pushed me along. Some bookers at you know at Gotham helped me along. Fluffy's people helped me along. You've helped me along. You know, and it's like, but but if I didn't make these choices to have these people's. Uh, wisdom kind of impart onto myself then i wouldn't be here on the on the mess in progress hot mess in progress podcast millie rock millie rock see i find that interesting because i think a lot of it especially for like um in latino culture is just based in guilt yeah it's a lot of people feeling guilty for not doing what is expected of them um, and you're right. Like they're having a mentality, which is still, it's such a fine line, right? Cause you yeah. don't, you, I mean, I know for myself, I never felt like I was being, um, like, like rebellious or selfish, but I knew that some people might see it that way. Um, because guilt is just part of the culture as well, um, in general. And so people who go beyond that and find that within themselves, what you're saying is, you know, it's kind of like the family you make rather than the family you're from. Cause now your new, your freshly new fiance is the family you made. It's the connection yeah. you made that yeah. helped you go through rather than, you know, anybody else who you were born into, which is a very yeah. different situation. I, yeah. I completely I agree. agree in that. 
Like, yeah. I think it's so important when people forget, like, it's so real when they say birds of a feather. Like, who are you surrounded by? Who's next to you when you are at your lowest? But then who's also helping you, you know, while you're going up yeah, in any way? Absolutely. I 100% agree. I do want to ask you, though, because I'm incredibly nosy about this. How did you propose? <laughs> how did I propose? Okay. So uh, I get a phone call during all this HBO madness, right? And I get a call. Uh, one, of, one, of these, um, one of these producers, uh, they, give, they give me a call. And, uh, and they had met Am at one point throughout this entire process leading up to the taping. And uh, they get me on the phone like, hey, we have, we have a script that we're thinking about doing. And uh, we were talking to you about, you know, bringing in your girlfriend. Is she your, is, I, have them, I have them on speaker so she could hear. And, and she goes like, is, uh, is, remind me again, is Amber your girlfriend or your fiance? And I was just like, and she heard it. Like she was like washing dishes and right there she was just like, it was like, you know, so, so yeah, her spider senses were tingling and I felt it. I felt it. I heard it. I heard the hairs on the back of her neck stand up. So at that <laughs> point, let me Tarantino it for you. Uh, I would say a week or two weeks prior, I found a ring of hers, a jewelry ring of hers. And I was like, let me, let me, let me see how I can get it sized or fitted, you know, and then I'll, you know, and then I'll figure out some sort of way. But then I start to think to myself, her and I are attached at the hip. I'm never going to make this happen. How am I going to start like scurry away for a couple for an hour or two, you know, to get a ring size. Then she's going to be like, where'd you go? What'd you do? Who are you with? Why'd you do it? How are you? And something like that. To that extent, maybe I'm exaggerating, but still, I, I was just like, how am I going to be able to like do this in a secretive kind of way? Fast forward two weeks later, I end the phone call and uh, she, you know, she looks at me and I look at her and she's just like, Beyonce, huh? And I was just like, and I go, funny you say that. I go, cause I hid the ring in the bookshelf that we have in our apartment. And I go like, I was thinking of, and I show her the ring. I was like thinking of maybe going to Vegas the week before your birthday and maybe getting married. So all of this is like just collapsing on top of her right now. Like, the phone call, and then I'm just, like, showing her the ring, and it's all, like, tying together, and, she, and I tell her, you want to get married in Vegas the week before your birthday? And she's like, yes, and then there. So, that, so we, you know, I put the, I put the ring on her finger, and uh, now we're, you know, we're, we're getting a, a Elvis impersonator, a tiny Elvis impersonator to officiate our wedding. You're damn right, oh. as you should. If you didn't do that, yeah. I would be very disappointed. Oh my god, this is <laughs> I, love, I love, I'm just such a sucker for either how we met stories or engagement yeah. stories because, I mean, Lord knows, when I was engaged, I started watching all those engagement videos and it's not like I was ever like, oh, I wish he would have done it that way because my husband's proposal was perfect the way it was. But and, and um, we're and like, we're in the middle of like everybody like shut down, locked okay. in, everybody, the barricades are down and it's just like, how am I going to get this ring to a jeweler to be sized for her finger? I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know. Amazing, though. And, yeah. And then, you know, that triggered that. And it was just like a snowball effect of, like, Beyonce. Well, it's funny you said ring on the finger. Vegas, baby. Yeah. It all <laughs> fell into place. And it was like chaotic, wonderful storm of things that happened to uh, help each other out during that yeah. process. 
Um, okay, back to the career questions. I'm just, I'm going to be a nosy hoe if I don't get back to it. Uh, and I'll pry later. We'll pry a little later on. Uh, was there ever a time where you considered a career other than stand-up comedy? If so, like what, what career was that? Because I know for me, I was considering being a sex therapist. Go. Uh, I, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate the uh, inside the actor studio demeanor uh, <laughs> for the asking of that question. Yeah. Uh, what what sound do you hate? What is the sound <laughs> that you hate? What is the sound that you like? I, no, but uh, I have I actually have thought of this before, Gene. Okay. Uh, I think I think I I think I'd be a pretty good teacher because like I have five nieces and nephews, so I'm like I'm good with kids, like with regards to like just entertaining them and being this like performer for 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 the youngins. And uh, so maybe a teacher. I'd probably be a teacher if I wasn't a comedian. But what type of teacher? Like a elementary? Like or uh, maybe maybe like middle school. You know, I'll be that cool teacher in middle school. You know, you you he he does give like um, cool teacher, a history, right. like a history teacher vibe. Yeah, you know what I mean, like the cool history teacher where you're yeah. like, yes, really yes, that's what world you history. I have I have I had a great world history teacher that he would bring in the weapons that like the Romans and like the, like the people, like they would like, he would come to school with like swords. And I'm like, the school board lets you do this, right? Bring weapons to class. That's a thing. Cool. So I'd probably be that guy. See, you, I had a, uh, a history teacher in high, well, in high school who literally, I now realize his life was a mess. Cause like, Two different oh, times he came, you know, he came in with two different sneakers, like two different shoes. And we were all like, Manetti, what's going on with your shoes? And he was like, the lights are off. Oh, <laughs> like, my God. That is great. That's a cool teacher response. The lights were off. Like, there's no excuse. He knows he's wrong. He's just like, I don't, I can't, kids. I got nothing left. Cat, I, I, I didn't know that your history teacher was Andrew Dice Clay. Hey, the lights are wrong. The lights are he, he was an Italian dude from, I believe, Rhode Island. Oh but, my God. Like, hey, what do you want me to do, kids? I, want you, I was about to go really Italian and be like, why don't you shut your mouth? I'll let you shut your mouth. Uh, <laughs> I made him very, very Italian. Very Italian. I had a wonderfully Perfect. impactful English teacher in the high school. My last year of high school, it was probably the most challenged and inspired I felt. Um, but those teachers, they make a difference, man. And I could totally see you as that teacher where everybody's like, yo, Mr. Rosario's class is my favorite class, though. Yes. All the students would be like, yo, I'm going to show Mr. Rosario's class. Like, remember yeah. you yeah. class and another class? So, like, I used to cut class and show in another class that was cooler. And even though my teacher, the teacher shouldn't have allowed it, they always allowed it. At least you were in a classroom. They were like, all right, you're in a classroom. Then yo, yo, did you see uh, Mr. Del Rosario's class? There was, like, 84 students in there at, like, at like 2.30. <laughs> at 2.30, you had, like, 82 students. You see, that's the thing. If there was also another teacher in this in this scenario, you were you don't have a fiance. I had the same teacher that my my English teacher. They were the same age, and they used to be pretty friendly. So we would be like, "Yo, you know Manetti and Stansky. Manetti and Stansky, they get they getting it on." We were we would swear, like we would see them in the hallway, and we were like. Monetti, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we see you. And then the I feel like that's your students. 
Yeah. That would be his students. That they would be like, so you telling me you never get at Miss Stansky, though? Ah! Ever? <laughs> you never try to kick it to her, though? Yeah. I could see that, because you do seem very, like, cool teacher, but also teaches you something that, like, you realize, like, you don't realize until you're, like, 20-something that you have that piece of information because of that teacher. Like, yeah. that one it's person. A life lesson just through their personality. Like, that kind of teacher that, like, maybe it wasn't the academics or just the academics that were impactful. But when you look back, like, the reason why I like that eighth grade English teacher was it wasn't just academically how well I did in his class. It was outside of his class. Later on, I realized what it was like to have somebody be a muse, an inspiration for you to work harder and for that energy to be that creative energy to somebody because he was a very creative person and so that can you can take with you and I feel like to me that stuff is always the more impactful stuff is when I step away from something well, not only did I learn but I felt some real stuff and I realized what I was capable of because of somebody else's belief in me and teachers like shout out to the teachers shout out to the teachers for doing what they do shout out to uh David's other life as a teacher <laughs> for changing lives <laughs> For changing the lives of the little children or the middle school children. Middle school children, little children? I don't know. Middle school children. So speaking of like um, I mean, but like influences, because you said how they change your life. Do you have one comic or two who like were a major influence for you? Like that you would say this is the person um that really like I know you said Chappelle earlier and you also mentioned Carlin, but like I don't know if one of those uh yeah no i i think that uh my knee-jerk reaction to that question is steve martin uh because the thing that i always like i got two of the most valuable lessons i think that i've gotten in comedy is um the most three actually the most important one is that you want to have a performance you want to do something on that stage that is going to make people want to leave their house buy a ticket order food and sit there and watch like that's like five things you got to make them do already you know what i'm saying so what is going to make them want to do all of that stuff number two is that he always uh when you're performing something uh or, or when you have a when you have an act uh, you want to go ahead and keep it to as like as if it's the first time that you're saying it, you know, as closest to that genuine first time. You have to be excited about it, you know. If it, if the if if this is the if this is what the elbow is doing, you know, five minutes into the routine and you gotta laugh, it's like, yeah, maybe the elbow thing. I should remember to do that because while it may seem organically to the audience, you know, that's a that's a little insider's tip. Uh, but you know that that and also. Um, very, very important is that he and, and at Steve Martin had this whole thing of like when you watch him, like I had a feeling whenever I would see his uh, his stand up specials, and especially when I read his book, he's got a great book called Born Standing Up. I think it's like a bible to any stand up comedian. I don't know if you've read it, Gina, but, uh, but it's 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 amazing. Uh, Kat, I don't know if you've heard I have of it. Steve Martin, uh, book, but I'm not sure if that's it. He always has a thing of what is he gonna do next. Like, what is he going to do next? Like, what, like, like, you're like, oh, my God, what is he going to do next? Like, oh, my God, what is, like, what is he going to do next? Like, I, I love that. I love that because there's so much mystery. There's so much, like, I have a bit about me describing a fight between my father and a velociraptor. And when I came up with that idea, 
I was like, I want to just reconfigure my body in a way on stage where I can have it seem like you're watching my father fight a velociraptor on stage, you know, like, and I know for a fact, it's like, shit, I would pay money to go watch that. Like you're creating stuff, not just so much from an ideological point of view or an observational point of view, like you, Gina, you know, your writing says it all, you know, like you're much more of like, you're more cerebral when it comes to the writing. You, you're, you're more methodical when it comes to that kind of stuff. And that's, that's the method to your madness. And my stuff stems from uh, that knee-jerk reaction of calling Steve Martin one of like, uh, like an influence, if you will, you know? No, yeah. There is a physical comedy to a Steve Martin. Yeah. Even in yeah. your set, um, you know, the whole like beatboxing thing, the way that you use that is yeah. a, a specific, like that's, that's part of what you were telling, your storytelling, right? Where yeah. um, Gina's is within the subtleties of yeah. like storytelling and she's telling you a story and, and it's very subtle reactions, you know, but like, I, I, I and that makes sense. Cause when you even hear somebody's influence, you realize their influence is usually somebody similar to what their style is kind of similar to like, yeah. like I yeah. was able to say I was able to say rabbit uterus on HBO. I mean, <laughs> you did. You said rabbit uterus. That was that's an interesting turn of phrase. <laughs> I'll never forget the rabbit uterus reference. I think that's very important too. Like I, what I love about the fact that you even said Steve Martin was you're a person that knows who the legends in comedy are. You're the person who knows who's done his homework. Um, I would hate when I would meet like a newer comic and I'd start talking to them about comedy and I'd say things like, oh, you know, Bill Hicks. And they'd be like, who? And I'd be like, I'm sorry. You got into an industry and you have no idea who some of the, pay the, the people that paved the way for edgy comedy, for, for alternative comedy. Like you don't know these people. You don't know the history of the business you're in. Like that's insane to me that I make reference to these people that are legendary comedians that changed the game, not just were they legendary for their style of comedy, but also for the way that they change things. You look at people like Lenny Bruce and you're like, you know, what edgy comic now is being arrested after the set every, every time he performs? The answer is all of them now. The answer is... The answer is every single scumbaggy one of them that gets hit with a Me Too thing. Um, <laughs> they're all getting arrested after. But I mean, with Lenny Bruce, it was one of those things where it was like, he went after the church pretty hardcore. And yeah. that got him in a lot of trouble. But without somebody like Lenny Bruce, you don't have the Doug Stanhopes, you don't have the people that are like that now. And when you meet somebody, it's like being a musician and not knowing who, you know, Jimi Hendrix is or like anybody, like you, you know these people because if you're passionate about something, I believe that passion and obsession are hand in hand. So when it comes to your career, if you're passionate about it, you're obsessed with everything that involves that career. Well, especially in your industry, like you guys don't have an industry that's in any way taught, like there's never, I don't know of a school that has stand-up comedy in a high school, right? Like that's not something you learn unless you seek it, Yeah. right? So part of that seeking, and because we live in a time where we can um, like ac have accessibility to like these older kind of specials uh, or YouTube, for instance, clips. There's no reason you haven't spent the time to watch this stuff. Like it's less about whether you find it funny or not, like whether it's your kind of comedy or not, like your humor and more about understanding why they, 
you don't have success. What made them a trailblazer? So that's the thing that I, I totally understand that because I feel like in what I do as a producer, even like um, going into directing, that's a conversation I can have. I will sit there and have deep conversations about that, but it's not in like, a, I went to film school because I didn't. It's like, you know, I was interested in that my entire life. And I can sit here and tell you styles that ironically other people learned in film school because they, you know, it's taught in a class. So yeah. when people don't know it, you kind of just go, do you just, are you just on stage because somebody told you on the block that you funny? Cause not to say that that doesn't make you yeah. funny, but yeah. you, do you not know the craft? Cause you could just be naturally humorous, but do you understand the craft? Or are you just trying to get famous? Like for right. a lot of people, it's about getting famous more than about um, being a great comic, more than about being in love with what your career is. You'd see people that fall in love with the lifestyle. Like they just want people to gasp when they come in a room. Like they like that effect, having that effect on people. And it's like, yeah, but that's not what it's about. Because man, as quickly as your fame can come, it can go. And that's what people really don't accept. They think once you're famous, you're good. Like, no, haven't you learned from the many people that have fallen from grace for one reason or the next, whether it's, you know, crazy life problems, money problems, drug problems, messing up in their career and saying something completely ignorant or doing something super bad. And especially now with like cancel culture in such hard play at this point, um, people are, they're, they're getting, what is it called? They're getting canceled and they're like, they're over. Like Trey Songs, I believe is the one that happened to recently in the media. Um, or is that Trey Songs? Tory Lanez. Tory Lanez. Tory Lanez. My bad, Trey Songs. You good. Uh, Tory Lanez. I was like, I know it was the T. Something. <laughs> yeah. That's my mommy brain. I was like, there's a, there's a T somewhere. <laughs> somewhere well, in the I, I do think there's some, and I, I guess I would ask you this um with in in well both of you in comedy um you know because i have always been a believer that like um comedy is where there's a lot of truth um in general truth of like observing the world truth of like the the society we live in and commentary on that right now mind you that commentary isn't always comfortable but we do live in a specific time now that makes you question to what degree can you tackle certain things you know what i mean how I, I feel like how does it feel as a comic to be somewhere in, in this time? Because 30 years ago, 40 years ago, very different like uh, uh, comedy world. But now I'm not, I'm not really asking like you guys, how is it changing your comedy? Because I don't think you guys necessarily are the problematic cancel type. But even observing it, when you observe what, ha what, where, what like, was comedy and where it's growing, do you think in some way it could get watered down? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, become too PC? I, I, uh, I mean, like, uh, like anything else, uh, if you get a lot of something, like, if you just get, uh, I, I wouldn't say diluted. Um, and even, like, circling back to what you said before about, about doing something, uh, I think Gina was talking about fame uh, as a book. I hate, I hate to, do, to, to shamelessly do this, but it's funny enough, yesterday I was watching... Uh, uh, the Gambler with Mark Wahlberg. And there's something he says in the movie that he was just like, hey, if it came down to it, if it really came down to it, dude, all right, would it be fame or would it be virtue? What are you gonna do, what are you gonna do baby? And, uh, and I was just like, and I was like, okay, all right, Mark. 
And I'd have to go with virtue because like you want to create stuff. Okay. So it doesn't become diluted. See how we came back. Yeah. See how we came back. Yeah. Uh, so, so what you, what, what you're doing is you're creating stuff that can almost transcend that moment. Like the last that I'm going for, I want the audience member to be like, why is he making me laugh like this? Why? I don't even know. Like, if you don't even know why you're laughing, I've done my job. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the thing about even Gina's style of comedy. We're two completely, two completely different comics, Gina and I. Our styles are two varying different styles. But we have that same mind melt of comedian that at backstage, we're just going to be like, it was crazy. It's good. I know. It's crazy. But at the same time, Gina is making you laugh in this way. And it's in the most authentic, true to form self. And it's her personal experience that you can't, you can't bat an eye from like a cancel culture thing because that's her own personal experience. And that stuff makes you bulletproof. And the laughs that, the laughs that I want to get aren't so designated in throwing some entire uh, group of people under the bus or trying to politicize and divide the crowd. I'm trying to unify and bring the crowd together and, you know, that that's the kind of laugh that I'm going for. Cause if you're not doing that, yeah, it becomes diluted. It becomes a form where you're not being a student of comedy, where you're not putting in the work and you're not the, uh, one of the most important things I ever heard was when uh, a, a comedian told me one time, I can't remember who they were like, ask yourself, why do you find that to be funny? And if I can't really find an answer to the, to the initial gut reaction of me thinking of an idea for a bit and I find it funny, I want to go out on stage and figure out if that's just going to get a laugh or not. And if you're going to ask me that question, I don't have an answer for you. Yeah. But, um, and not to sound too much like, uh, you know, all over the place, but um, when it comes to comedy being diluted, I think that those comedians kind of like fall into like the fray of, of, you know, people that, you know, like it, it, it varies. There's so many different paths in this industry, you know, like it all depends on, you know, every show is different. Um, so if it becomes diluted, you know, it's like every, it, it, and it's, it's so subjective. Comedy so subjective, you know, like everybody, like you're, you're probably going to like some dude that just runs around on stage with a pair of shorts on and, and some Crocs on, and that's just going to do it for you, you know, and, or you, you'll have somebody that's a little bit more, you know, um, you know, talks about political humor more so than anything else. And that might do it for you. So what is delusion? You know, like I think what we're striving for as comics is to transcend that moment. And for like in 20 years, you think of that joke 20 years from now, you know? Right. Right. No, yeah. I, the only reason I don't think it could ever get, diluted it's because I look at it like what happened in the prohibition era where it was like yeah you can tell people that they don't have alcohol they're just going to build underground clubs where they can have alcohol it's like they're just there's just going to be comics that don't care and will say what they say regardless in any given circumstance which will prompt other comedians to do the same because there is that connection of we are the hugest supporters of free speech because it's essential to what we do it's so important to what we do. So when you have one comic that's saying, I'm going to say whatever the hell I want on stage, that's going to create a domino effect of several other comics that support that, that want to do that, that want to say whatever they want to say on stage. And no one is really bulletproof to any of this. I can guarantee you that as safe as even my material looks to a lot of people, 
I've been called out on stuff. Uh, and some of it is just ridiculous, ignorant stuff. I just had somebody say I was a race trader for marrying a white man. Like literally just the other day on YouTube, somebody will call, they'll call you out for any given thing, like any given thing. So you do have to get to the point where you just don't care, where you're just yeah. like, okay, well, I don't, I don't know how to please all of you. And this is where I stick to the people that are happy with what I do. Yeah. See, I mean, I think, oh, yeah. no, 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 no. I was just going to say, I think the only time that it matters is when someone, um, cause I do, I'm, I'm, a, I am a believer of like free speech and like, um, um, expressing yourself, using your art to express yourself. But if your expression comes at the harm of others and it's, and it's obvious that that is your person, that is literally how you exist in the world beyond the stage, then I agree with that person should be deplatformed. Then I, and the reason I say, because I go, it's not about canceling, you just need to go, no, 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 boo. I, I, I'm, I, I'm just in this state of mind because I just finished watching The Morning Show. I don't know if you guys seen it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve Carell and all that, and it was a lot about um, uh, that, that whole Weinstein moment. That's what it came out of. But one thing that I kept thinking when I was watching that was when you deplatform somebody, it really comes down to the morality of who they are as a human being, right? Not necessarily the observations they're making. So, because I'm even guilty of going, I can see things from multiple angles. And when people go, so, you, so you're like that, I'm like, no, I could just see it from multiple angles. Like, I don't do that. I just can see it like that. But when you can tell that a specific comic is speaking from experience that is harmful to others, deplatform that person. Because that's not free speech. That's you literally going up there and using, actually using free speech in your favor by going, but I should be able to say whatever I want. And it's like, but you're saying things that then you're doing whatever you want that harms people. That's different. Yeah. Inviting other people to harm others based on what you're saying. And so you're part of the problem. People often confuse free speech and hate speech. And it's like, no, sweetheart, they're not the same. What you're doing is hate speech and you're using it as free speech. And you know what your, your end goal is to get other people to believe the same thing you do in an us against them versus like us versus them mentality which is right. what we're all trying to get rid of. We're trying to eradicate that mentality. Which is why I say deplatforming rather than canceling. Yeah. Because canceling, yeah, I mean, it cancels their existence. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I, I think that um, there's something very important that I think goes, um, there's, there's a lot of gray area when it comes to the verbiage or the vocabulary that's used in a particular joke. There are jokes that you're gonna say that is gonna just set someone off. You know, I had a joke one time I was trying out, you know, like maybe, you know, early on, I was just like, there's a, there's a no yogurt on the plane sign on the TSA because of 9-11, right? And there's no, it's a no yogurt sign. It's a the Ghostbusters thing with the, with the line through it, yogurt. And I was like, who went through here just started chucking yogurt at people at the airport and it became a thing where they had to put it on the sign. It's a harmless little joke. It's not even referencing the reference, you know, but some guy stopped me after the show. It's just like, Hey man, you know, just like, I was like, I'm sorry, dude. Like I, I, you know, I didn't mean to apologize for the joke, but it was just like one of those things. Like, I don't want that to be a thing. Um, but, um, the thing going back to my initial response, which was comics, 
some of them, a large majority of them, understand that we up there on stage have a little bit of a social responsibility, you know? And influence. Yeah. 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 There, you know, there's, it's not a sense of conformity or anything like that. It's almost like an unspoken understanding that, um, that we are going to say something. We are going to say something that may offend some people. We may say some things that, that may not work for you. It's just like a, a CD or why? Wow. CD. What? Who are we? Um, no, but like an album, somebody comes out with an album, right? Not all the tracks are going to be bangers. You know what I'm saying? And some of the tracks are going to talk about things you're like, what in God's name am I listening to? You know, like, but you bought the album, you showed up, you know, it's either you can walk out, you know, and, and, and that person's going to be on Twitter being eviscerated. Hell, their career may end. But uh, Kat, you brought up something very, very important. And it's, it's the, the behavior offstage. The behavior offstage need to be professional and on point and on the money. And just be eloquent, professional. Don't be a sneaky. Can I curse? Yes. Yeah, just don't be a sneaky fuck, you know? Don't do that shit, you know? Just be a good, try to be a good person, you know? Like, yeah, yeah you're making all these people laugh and everybody happy and shit like that. But it's just like, oh, but only do they know. Oh, my goodness. Like, no, because don't people do that shit. find out. People will find out that yes. Well, you see, that's the thing I think is changing now, right? Like in all industries, not just comedy, all entertainment industries. It becomes the fact that that boys club and all the industries have the boys club, which is the boys club of silence. And I'm not only talking sexual assault, I'm talking silence across the board. Like you said, even the sneakiness, even people who are shady. Where it's like it, it um in entertainment there is almost a level of like once you hit um a success you can kind of not pay attention to professionalism like you don't have to be professional anymore you don't have to be a human being anymore and I think that's a problem because it's still an industry it's a functioning business right and this is not your personal life so I, so I have like um I don't I don't know uh. Gina knows, I know um, a friend of mine is one of the managers at um, the cellar. And, you know, when we talk about like his tenure there, I, without saying anything, all I know is the stories you hear there, you just go, that's like a club. It's like a club, literally like a club. It's a very interesting concept that this is a business, mm -hmm. right? Like, but I think that when people are um, ob like objectively tackling Hollywood, morning television, comedy. I don't really feel like it's necessarily the content that you're saying on stage. It's the person and the culture off. It's all of that. Like, you know, like even the idea, sometimes I think of like getting belligerent drunk. It's your job and you're getting belligerent drunk. And then like, I'm, I'm not think, talking about anybody in particular, but even that, I would never get drunk and go to a, a nine to five. But in certain industries, an actor can go on set belligerently drunk because he's an Oscar-winning actor. It's a very interesting, and then be abusive verbally to other people. You know what I mean? Like that takes it. Right. That's what. That's where I. Uh, I would agree that things need to change, rather than the the observation of the person's type of style and yeah. you know what they find funny, their humor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that anything anything toxic like that uh, going on. Uh, I'm sure that especially now, especially now, I'm sure 
guys, it's it's gonna come out soon. You know, like you know, I luckily I looked back and and Gina, you know, in a sense, we we kind of, you know, we're talking about stuff on stage. We're talking about stuff on the internet. You know, we're 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 writing wild shit on Twitter. You know. So you're always going to have that person that's either going to be like, oh, I, I don't I don't like that, you know, and uh, and or you're going to have the people that are going to really fuck with you, you know, and that's the yeah. thing is like those people that really, truly fuck with you. Right. And if, if you look at yourself and you're confident in yourself and your professionalism, your track record, your work ethic, everything else, if you're sure of that, you should be fine, you know, yeah. like. It, it, anything pertaining to like stuff that is like intangible, like the words you say on stage or the words you write on Twitter or something like that. If it's hate speech, guys, come on. I think it takes one to be like, yeah, I think that what they wrote was bad. I think, I think that what, they, you know, some people do that and it's not even hate speech. So it's like this walking paradox of, our words and what people feel and how the internet operates and it's a mishmash of that but just you know it all comes back to again professionalism and just being able to if you are that person of of being like you know you're talking about the boys club and stuff like that if something fucked up is going on someone should be notified yeah you know i i, I hate to to, to be that per like i'm the same person that if I see something in the shadows, right? If I see something, if I'm walking by, I see something in the shadows. I'm just gonna keep walking. I'm gonna keep doing my thing. But if I blatantly see something fucking wrong, I, I'm gonna be the person and be like, hey man, this shit should not be happening. You know, like to what degree, you know, it, it, it's, it's this kind of world that we're living in now where you kind of have to really look at yourself and be like, all right, everything's all good these other people outside that are coming out on TV or on, and, and there, and you know, people take them like, like it's, it's, it's just crazy because like, you know, you're going to go to court. You're going to get accused of something like just, if you could just know that. And I sleep peacefully at night on a wonderful mattress. Um, it's no, it, it's just something that I honestly, with regards to my career and Gina, I'm sure with your career and, and you as well, Kat, and your profession as well, like we could walk away with a clean conscience and be like, okay, yeah, today I did my job. Peace out. I'm going to go home to my damn, to, to, my, to the party I got at my house. Yeah. So again, just don't be a sneaky fuck. Don't do that. I'm not a gooch guy. You know, <laughs> and it brings, brings it back around to the gooch, <laughs> both literally and figuratively. Um, we will go <laughs> last segment now because uh, this has been great. We have a segment of the show called Dear Gina, where a lot of the fans of the show will write in questions and we give them our advice. So each of us will give a take on this and then we'll shout out our socials and end the show and such. So here is this week's Dear Gina. Dear Gina, is it bad that I make my boyfriend food because he's fat and I want him to be slim? Okay, here's, uh, I'll shoot off. Here's my take on this. Um, it depends on your intention. It all depends on your intention. Is this a health thing? Are you concerned with his health? And is that what is, that what is motivating you and frustrating you about the fact that he's overweight? Uh, if that's the case and you're looking out for his health, good on you. I understand you being concerned with somebody's health. 
if this is about aesthetics, if this is about you want him to look better, you are shaming somebody and that is wrong. If you want to be good to him and you want to encourage him to get healthy and, you know, be comfortable in his own body and his own skin, absolutely 100% do that. But if this is some shallow attempt for you to have arm candy versus you actually working on your relationships, you have a lot more to examine than just what you're cooking. So I, that said, I'm going to pass this on to Catherine and then we'll pass it to Dave. Unless I kind of, I kind of want to hear it, Dave. Okay. <laughs> David, David, what is your take on this? Cut off the supply of food. Cut <laughs> off the supply of food. If he does not eat, he won't get fat. If he, if he, no, no uh, look, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, Gina, you couldn't have said it better. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's true. It's true. Look, it depends on what you want. Like, you're, you're sending in this email saying, like, if I keep feeding my husband, he's going to get fat. And then if he gets fat, I'm not going to be happy. Like, that's the equation that I did in my mind. And, uh, but, you know, cook healthy food, make an intention. Yeah, make the, uh, uh, you know, kind of um, work towards being like, hey, let's, let's be healthy. Let's just have good, healthy bodies and then be bodies together. Like, I think if you just do that, you know, but cut them off at the source, damn it! Cut them off at the source! I'm just, yeah. <laughs> Catherine? Um, I have so many things to say. Because um, <laughs> the thing is that I have an observation, which is the phrasing of the question. Yes. The phrasing of the question I found very interesting. And now here's the thing, I'm not in the, I'm not in the business of making anybody feel bad for their phrasing. But the, the statement, is it bad that I make my boyfriend food because he's fat and I want him to be slim? Now, I'm going to start with, is this how you speak to your boyfriend? Yes. Right? Because like you already told me everything I needed to know about the way you are. So it sounds to me like when you talked about intention, I know a lot about your intention in this phrasing. I'm going to give you leniency under one condition. If English is not this person's first language, then I will understand why this phrasing is the way it is. For when Catherine says something so savage that it needs to be addressed. I need- Savage. Savage. But am I wrong? That dozer. But am I, because my mother might say this statement because English is not her first language. So it's not that she's being rude. It's just that she doesn't understand. European and you're like, because he's fat and I want him to lose weight. Right. And it's culturally how they speak. Yeah. It's a different culture. But if this person's first language is English and they're from the United States and all of that, and they're, you know what I mean? And I'm understanding it the way I think I'm understanding it. And that's how you talk. Yes, it's bad. Because even the way you wrote it tells me you make this person feel bad. Plain and simple. Yeah. That's your intention. It's on the page. But now if that isn't the case and we're going to, you know, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I, I don't like to simplify things as bad and good. So intention, as you said, I like to look at things and going, um, well, first off, you're making him food. So that's nice. Cool. But, um, are you also eating that food or are you want to, you know, like when you see, you know what I mean? Like, are you going, oh, you eat this, I eat this, like, girl, no, 
Mama, like we in this together. Parmesan on like a sandwich, and he's sitting there eating greens, like just salad with no dressing, right? Or the lemon juice. Yeah, I can understand that. that. It's like that's that's the second point, and then the third one. Read your sentence. Read your question to yourself, and ask you how you would feel if he said that about you. Because if you're cool with it, if you're cool with it, then whatever. But if I'm ninety nine percent sure, you're not cool with it. Catherine so you answered your own question. Catherine is getting all the snaps for that last one. <laughs> yes, read that question back to yourself, sis. And if somebody said it about you, if he said it about you, how would you feel? Right. How would you feel? Right. And that, you know, that's just with women and men. I sometimes do think that um, women forget that, you know, men may not emote. All men may not emote the way women naturally do. Doesn't mean they don't have emotions. So it doesn't mean their feelings can't get hurt when you say something right. like that just because they don't show it. Like right. they may not want to tell you, hey, that hurts my feelings because it's not looked at as a manly thing to say that your feelings got hurt. So if we're in this fight to end toxic masculinity like that, then it's our responsibility too to be responsible how we speak to the men in our lives and how we treat the men in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's gonna be that's gonna be a great that that's gonna be a great conversation. Because, you know, my, my, again, my advice, as terrible as it may be, cut them off at the source. Uh, it's going to be a thing where she's going to walk in and be like, how come there's no more food? Well, I sent an email. <laughs> and uh, this question was been rattling around in my brain. So what if, uh, what if he was fat when they got together? That's a great question. So yeah. you're trying to change him? Yeah. Like, there's so many Did levels he get to fat this. in the relationship, or was he fat before? Is he fat, dangerous fat, or is he dad yeah. bod fat? Like, we're right. not getting a full picture of what the situation is, but I think it's very true because I think I felt the same way about the phrasing of this, which is why I asked about intent. Because it's like, what exactly is your intention? Because I see the word like fat and you're describing someone you're in a relationship with. I'm like, that's harmful. That's hurtful. That's a hurtful Ooh. thing to say to somebody. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really worried for this guy. <laughs> We're all very concerned about him. So uh, please check back in with us. Let us know. Well, it's, it's also the, the fat and then the word slim, right? Because normally we would say fat and then the opposite skinny. would be skinny, right? But they said slim. This is why I said, is English your first language? Because maybe you just, and I'm thinking about it as this is the way my mother would phrase it. Maybe so I, when you said the word fat, you tried to soften the blow with the word slim instead of you, going to skinny because you're like, oh, if I say slim, it seems like I'm just, I'm worried about his health versus skinny where it sounds purely. But shy. then you don't call him fat, you call him thick. You say, yeah. you know, my boyfriend <laughs> needs to get in shape or he's overweight yes. or blah, blah, blah. You don't say fat. like The oh, operative oh. word. You have to always know what's the operative word in a sentence. It was not slim. Yeah, like, because, was, like if I said, like, if somebody looked at me and was like, damn, Gina, you fat, I'd go <laughs> myself. If somebody was like, damn, Gina, you thick as hell, I'd be like, oh, my God, thank you. I am so thick. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's, all, it's all about it's all about context. And uh, and did this email come with a photo attachment? Or do we have no. a point of reference? No. Is there? No? Nothing? No. no. But you know what I did think? Also, I want. 
I want him to, first off, in any relationship, there isn't the I want on you. Like, yeah. I would, you know, I, I, I want, it, the want could be like, I want my partner to be alive for the next 15 years. Yes, that's an okay want. I want you to but be healthy. Very healthy, reasonable. Healthy. Right, know. but I want them slim. You know what I mean? Again, <laughs> it comes down to what if he's like, and I want your, I don't know, boobs to be bigger. Immediately, any woman would be like, <gasps> Exactly. How dare you? How right? dare you? Yeah. I mean, I'd be like, I'd also like my boobs to be bigger, so I'm with you on that one. <laughs> but I'll just come back and I'll be like, and I want you to find the money for my boobs to be bigger. <laughs> <laughs> so, dude, so if we want the money, we can't get what we want. So you see Yeah, she, uh, she, uh, the, the tone of the, the tone of the email has a very like, uh, like, just like, uh, my, my husband, almost like, like a, I want my husband to not longer be fat. I want him to be slim. If my husband could no longer be fat. He is fat pig. I want him. <laughs> if there is some way where the caloric intake of my husband can reduce greatly, I would be much appreciated. Fatness and slim. Fatness and slim. I cook cabbage for him. Just boiled cabbage. That's it. <laughs> eat all day cabbage. But here's the thing: <laughs> if we found out that they did speak with that accent, I'd forgive them a little more. Yeah, me too. I'd be like, no, I get it. <laughs> I get it. That's just a culture thing. There was yeah. a uh, time when my brother was. I know. End the show after this. But there was a time when my brother was working for AmeriCorps, and they had international students coming in, and he would like sort of help them get acclimated to New York life, take them around, be a tour guide. And um, he had this one guy, I can't remember what he was from, but he would always like, he would tap his forehead. And instead of saying forehead, because he didn't speak English, he would say foreskin. He would say, this is my foreskin. And we're like, no, no, that's not the right word. Like we have to stop you right there. It's not the right word. You're not using the proper. So how can you not have empathy for somebody where it's like, no, they don't know any better. They're using the word they think it is or the word they think is appropriate. And you yeah. got to be like, no, 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 no. That's you. You're going to want to clean that up a little bit. But um, that's, that's not a gooch. That's <laughs> not, that's not a gooch. Not a gooch. Um, David, tell oh. the lovely people where they can find you. Tell them where they can Absolutely. find you. Absolutely. Shout out anything you, you would like. Uh, yeah, well, right now, uh, everybody, you guys can catch uh, me and Gina Brion. Gina Brion and I, if you're going to be a grammar wizard. Uh, Gina Brion and I are both on this wonderful uh, HBO Max event, uh, the Hot Comedy Festival. You can download HBO Max right now onto your phone. Hey, do the week trial. It's uh, the best. And come in. The water's fine. Uh, so it's a wonderful showcase, showcasing all the best up-and-coming Latino and Latinx comics. Uh, you can follow me at David Funny Stuff. I now have, and I'm, I'm super happy that I have the both of you here, uh, I have a new comedy channel hub with my fiance called Pretentious Liquid. And we're hosting, uh, we're doing a, a podcast on that as well. Uh, we're doing a thing called Comics Cinema Commentary because she's also a very hilarious comedian. And I told you about this, Gina. We're doing movie commentary. So some wait. of the best movies that have ever come out, we're just sitting down and just eviscerating, talking shit about them. And the people can listen to us talk shit and watch the movie at the same time because that's what's happening. And uh, gaming videos, sketches, uh, I'm, I'm you know, working on other projects here and there. 
But and you can follow her at Amory Lee underscore comedy. Plug for that. Plug for the white That's people. Love. That's Catherine, love. tell the lovely people where they can find you. Um oh God, we haven't recorded an episode that I forgot my socials. Um <laughs> at on Instagram it's at Catherine G Mendoza. Um and then on Twitter it is at Kathy Grace24. Kathy is spelled K-A-T-H-I-E G-R-A-C-E 24. Yeah. You guys know you can find me on the gram at G Brion. Uh, everything else is Gina Brion, including the website GinaBrion.com or .net. Fallen. Uh, like David said, you can catch both of us on the Hot Comedy Festival um, show that is now up of streaming on HBO Max. So go check that out. It's a wonderful lineup of people. We all had a blast doing it. So check it out. You'll see uh, David, myself, and the lineup of amazing performers. Also check out The Floor is Lava, my special on Amazon if you have not checked it out. Or Pacifically Speaking, which the first was the first ever special I did, and I'm proud to say that it is now on Amazon. So if you're a fan of Pacifically Speaking, you can go on Amazon and you can watch that. Uh, hit up HBO for an Entre No Sets and for Easily Offended. And I always like to end the show with a piece of advice that my mom gives me to this day. When life throws a lot at you, handle it one catastrophe at a time, people. All right, until next time. Deuces, everybody. Bye, Bye David. Bye, David. Bye. 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 See ya. Do it like that. Yeah. You the kind of chick that's ready to fight back. Yeah. Looks damn good, but really she type bad. Mm-hmm. Go to sleep, I call him a night cat. Born killer, you a born killer. Mm. Go on, get him. Go on, go on, get him. Mm.